Welcome to the Northern Business Podcast. Each week we talk to people active in business and the economy about the big issues driving growth in the north of England. We're sponsored by Virtue Motors, one of the UK's largest motor retailers. You can check out its website at virtuemotors.com. I'm Graham Robb, owner of Recognition PR. We help scores of businesses promote their products and services. Some are featured on this podcast sometimes. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, we haven't got anyone in the studio today because we're all down the line and there's a football reason for that, which we'll get to a little later. But down the line, we've got Dr. James Callahan, who's Regional Director of Northern Yorkshire and Humber at the Institute of Chartered Accountant of England and Wales. And also down the line, we've got the entrepreneur entrepreneur and consultant, one of the most positive people you'll ever get to hear on this programme, and that's Amar Mazur. He's, uh, he's on the line from Newcastle. Later in the programme, my colleague Jamie will be speaking with Louisa Harrison-Walker, who's chair of the Sheffield Chamber of Commerce. So, gents, welcome to the programme from your respective offices. Welcome to the Northern Business Podcast. James, can I start with you? Today, uh, here we are in the middle of December and the growth figures for October were published. They were a little disappointing because they said that the, the economy had fallen back by about uh, minus 0.3 of a percent. Not 3%, 0 0.3%. 0.3, yep. Um, now, is this any great shakes? It went up by 0.2 last month and it went up by 0.1 the month before, so it's flatlining. Do these bits of data really make a difference? Uh, obviously, it, it does make a difference and it is significant, but it's not unexpected. Um, to be you know, frank, it basically shows that interest rates are doing their job to pull down inflation. Yeah, and, and inflation has um, been the, yeah. the litmus test of the government and economic policy throughout the Western world, hasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And inflation, although while it's actually dropped you know, across the, the world in various um, countries, the, the rate has, has been different, but hasn't gone away yet. So I think the the, uh, the Bank of England will, and certainly tomorrow, I don't, I can't see any change in interest rates. I think it will keep it as it is because it's shown that it, it's actually doing its job. But the downside of that is that you basically subdue the economy, and that's reflected in the figures that was released today. Well, so it's, it's not, it's no great surprise. The um, the, uh, the recognition PR together with Clive Owen LLP run two shadow MPCs, one in Yorkshire, and one in the northeast. And both the shadow MPCs, for the first time since we've been running them, and we've been running them since 2009, so 20, 14 years, both were absolutely unanimous that there should be no change, that the bank was right not to reduce interest rates, but to keep on with the tactic of conquering inflation. Would you take that view if you were on the Bank of England uh, committee? Absolutely. And I think there's also some of the interest rate rises that have taken place haven't actually made their way through to the market yet. Mm. So there's still a lot of people on fixed rate mortgages that, you know, haven't had the, the, the impact come through. So I think that they need to sort of keep the keep the level as it is for a bit longer till they can see that inflation definitely is coming down. The other but there's, 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 sorry, there's still some factors there that potentially push it up because we're still seeing sort of um, wage inflation, wage growth, and the, there's danger you get into a spiral then. So we have to be careful that, you know, that but what's coming down, but we have to be, you know, keep keep to it and it will actually, you know, continue to drop. Now, your members are the accountants. They're the people who see firsthand the numbers and management accountants see them contemporaneously as well. Um, and they will be looking at the issue of wage growth. Wage growth was 7.3% when it was announced in, I think, on Tuesday uh, this week. <clears throat> um, now, that's considerably more than inflation. 
So there is still in the economy uh, some effective catching up among the workforce when it comes to cost of living. Exactly. And you even saw it in the, the autumn statement there last week, you know, raising the national uh, living minimum wage. Um, that will then have an impact as well because that will then feed through to potential wage inflation because you then have to, you know, maintain um, differentials on pay as well. Of course. Uh, and again, that, that's something that, you know, potentially the government has to look at. Balancing it all off, the wage <clears throat> growth of 7.3 compared to uh, inflation of 4.6, I think, uh, means there's a gap where people are notionally better off. There is also um, the potential of the national insurance, not tax cut, filtering through to people's wage packets in January, uh, which is helpful. So do you think those measures will contribute to keeping the economy stable rather than falling further? Because people are focusing on inflation, but there is the other problem potentially of recession or deflation. Well, I think that there's still a bit of potential of a mild recession. Um, and if you look at, you know, even though the Chancellor announced the national insurance reductions, we've still got the fiscal drag. So in a sense, he's given up one hand and taken away with the other. Yeah. And I think the issue, without getting into the politics behind it, the challenge for the Chancellor is he has to manage the economic cycle at the same time as the political cycle. And at the moment, they're out of sync. Yeah, they, they, certainly, they certainly are. Now, we've talked about the official data. One of the things that's really interesting from your organisation is your um, dipstick data, your confidence <coughs> index, where you're polling businesses. And, and by the way, I've just looked at the way you do it. Uh, it's a thousand telephone interviews among your members. Now, this is a really interesting bit of data because it's, it's real among people who are active in the business community based on real knowledge. This isn't about asking people how they feel about the world. This is facts, not feelings. Can we just look at some of the results you've got? We'll talk about the Northeast. You've printed me out the Northeast one, but please throw in the Northwest and Yorkshire as well if you've got any of the data. Um, you're, you're asking about the optimism levels, that's feelings. Then you were asking about sales. So if we look at that. Businesses in the Northeast expect a rate of increase in input cost salaries and selling prices to moderate. So they're not expecting their costs to go up as much as they had in the last 12 months. They're expecting a, a bit of stabilisation on costs in the year to come. That surely is good news. Absolutely, yeah. And again, that's a result of, you know, inflation, inflation and those uh, input price pressures actually starting to come down, particularly around sort of energy prices. Uh, you know, cost of supplies, raw materials actually falling as well. Um, you've also found that companies plan to raise their staff levels. Now, I wasn't expecting this, but among the people you surveyed, again, people actually working in businesses in a position where they've got real sight of what's happening, you, you're saying that numbers in employment will go up, albeit more slowly than the last few uh, months, last year. But, but I would have expected in some way that maybe unemployment would start to come, go up again. Maybe, maybe staff vacancies wouldn't be the big issue. Yeah, well, well in a sense, the staff vacancies is sort of a, an ongoing problem. You know, we haven't actually sort of closed off all those. Um, this has been an issue for probably the last two or three years, particularly around sort of non-management skills. Were these, um, uh, these kind yeah. of data, was it similar across the north? Because I've got the northeast figure there. What, was it, what kind of sentiment did you get in the northwest? And yeah, it's, it's, it's more or less similar. There's not much differences across the regions. Um, while the, you'll see that the confidence monitor says that business confidence is at least positive, 
um, it's what we'd call a fragile confidence. Yeah. There's a lot of things that could happen that could knock her off. Okay, yes. So there's, as you say, fragility. And then we looked at, ex this is something we don't see a lot of data on <clears throat> regularly, it's exports. Um, although exports were growing, export growth had moderated. Now, some of the export growth isn't just about our economy, is it? It's about the economies of the markets that we're exporting to. So there's exactly. a worry yeah. there too. And what my worry there as well, if you look across sort of both uh, Yorkshire and Humber and the Northeast, is the export expectations are quite uh, down compared to other regions. And now we consider the importance of exports in those both in those two regions. You can see it's actually significant. Um, I'm trying to you know understand exactly what's causing those issues. I'm having discussions with the Department for Business and Trade to try you know pull apart those things and see what extra support we can actually give businesses in the region to turn that around. Do you feel, uh, albeit that this, this survey of yours and the recent data is quite flat, that it's a necessity that it's flat at the moment? You were talking about inflation, but it's we've been through a turbulent period. Maybe stability is needed. Absolutely. But uh, I think the uh, the issue is that, you know, as you said, the markets that we're exporting to, if you look at, you know, Germany's basically sort of in recession. You know, the economy there hasn't been too good for for quite a while. Um, across, you know, Europe as well, we're seeing that. So I think exports, are, you'd expect them to be subdued, but maybe not to the extent that's actually coming across. There was one bit of data that I grabbed in your report, which I think the government would be disappointed in, because the government has tried to use the tax system to stimulate investment. And the, you looked at North East, but please fill in the gaps on North West or Yorkshire as well. And it was saying that, investment capital investment growth was reasonably stable but maybe a little bit stronger than national average but investment it hadn't picked up in the way that maybe government had hoped by these incentives what are you what are you seeing on the front line um what i'm hearing from businesses is it's because of the uncertainty there's just too much uncertainty you know the, even if you look at the example of you know the government trying to stimulate the economy by investing in these uh, investment zones you know going to be 12 across the uk Initially, they said we're going to do, do that for five years. Five years is not a, a long enough runway for businesses to have that the 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 stability they need uh, and the long term vision to say, okay, we're going to you know invest in something that would will take maybe five to ten years to return. So it was a welcome um, announcement that they doubled the five year to ten year um, period for investment zones and also doubled the, the eighty million to one hundred and sixty million. All right. uh, but again, one hundred and sixty million is not huge in the, in the great scheme of things. To bring in, you know, the, the the football thing you'll probably mention later, you wouldn't even get a decent premiership player for that nowadays. That's right. That uh, was and a, certainly you could argue that that may have sort of a bigger impact on the local economy, but that's for somebody else to talk about. All right. Well, pause there, James. Let's bring Amar <laughs> in. Amar, come on now. You're the most positive person I know in business. I've known you ages. Let's, uh, I'm going to talk about your, your business clubs and so on in a minute. But in All general, right. in your in your rather large ecosystem, uh, in the northeast of England, where you run your business clubs, do you feel the same sentiment that you've heard from these reports and this data? Yeah, um, I, I mean, you can't dismiss the statistics, regardless of however optimistic you are. Um, but for me, Graham, there, there, there's always a, a silver lining in 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 in, in everything. Uh, and you know, the, wherever there's a challenge, there's an opportunity. So how might we turn that on its head? Um, 
So in answer to your question, um, yes, thing uncertainty becomes one of the biggest issues, and certainly that's what we've experienced uh, the last few years. But what does that mean, and what could we and should we be doing? Well, we should be looking at our, our business models. We should be looking at you know, new marketplaces. We should be looking at innovation. Um, you know, and, 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 and they're the things that I have a real interest in. Absolutely. Now, we'll get into those in a moment. But first of all, tell us, there'll be people watching and listening to this that don't know about your Club Asian Business Connections. Um, well, it's your social enterprise. I called it a club. That's the, the wrong phrase. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's a, a not-for-profit social enterprise. Tell us what it does and how people can participate. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Um, I, I mean, it started off being called Asian Business Connections because there was a gap in representation of the Asian community across the whole of the Northeast. So that's, you know, um, when I talk about the Northeast, I'm talking about the whole of the Northeast. Um, and, and we established that as a not-for-profit social enterprise to make sure that it was bringing value through its activities back to communities. But our ambition was always to make it an inclusive organization. And that's what we focused on for the last 15 years. So we then connected with uh, Yorkshire and Northwest associations, but primarily in the Northeast, we moved away from just purely representing the Asian community and wanted to make the whole of the region more inclusive. Um, so we developed and delivered a range of programs, regardless of color or gender. And our sort of headline campaign, very ambitious uh, uh, sort of endeavor now is all around inclusion. And uh, we 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 launched at our 10th anniversary, we launched our uh, inclusion by default campaign, which was um, trying to get people to recognize the positive elements of inclusivity and uh, and 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 making yeah. I mean, God, everybody. Um, you know, in, in the region, as far as I'm concerned, you know, appreciates, recognises uh, uh, all of the differences that we have. So, you know, whether you come from Middlesbrough, whether you come from Sunderland, whether you come from Newcastle, of course, we have our quirks and differences and everything else. But it's a great thing, right? It's, uh, and, and, and it's those differences that, that make us who we are. And, and celebrating them. So, so it's not just about you know, um, local uh, elements. It's about gender. It's about background. It's a, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, one of the reasons why I think I'm as positive as I am is because I was born in Newcastle, and we're particularly the whole of the Northeast is particularly proud, positive, um, and passionate. You know, is is what we have have been always and remain so. Well, I think that's right, and it's well spoken. I would just say I was looking before I interviewed you today, before I know you were coming on, I was wanting some data on Asian or ethnic minority-owned businesses. Now, it's very difficult to find the data, but I did find some, and this was maybe two years old. In the whole of uh, England, um, about £74 billion a year is contributed to our economy through Asian-owned or minority ethnic-owned businesses. Um, I mean, that's worthwhile inclusion. Everyone wants a bit of that. Everyone wants that kind of contribution because that's a solid, positive contribution. And, you know, we were just talking about um, the, uh, the way we're exporting. 
and the yeah. traditional European exports to places like Germany, which are in recession. But you personally have, have started a, a, a campaign to, to export to areas you know, and I want to talk about that because this is a very valid contribution to our economy, and that's your um, initiative with Saudi Arabia. So tell us how mm. this initiative came about, and, and do you think your own background and your connections has, has helped facilitate it? Um, uh, so thank you for that, Graham. And, 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 and as my own background or um, uh, relationships contributed, I suppose awareness is always a, a positive thing um, and understanding. Uh, our endeavour around um, internationalisation has been going on for quite some time. So I've led on a number of trade visits to India um, for the last sort of 12 to 15 years, very successfully. Um, and it was on the back of that. You know, we we recognised one of the, 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 the largest uh, countries in the world by population, you know, fastest growing, various statistics, relationship with um, you know, Britain in itself and the legal system and the ease of doing business. So, so that's where it really stemmed from. But more recently, um, you know, the relationship with Newcastle United and Saudi and, and, um, and, and, and having ventured across to Saudi uh, just literally a few weeks back uh, on the invitation of Saudi business links, um, you know, I was blown away um, by the opportunity, the welcome, the warmness, and um, you know, and, and, I, and I appreciate that when people think about Saudi, there's there's a whole range of biases um, and, and and lack of understanding that that exists, and I can understand that. Having said all of that, you know, I, I went out there with some level of anxiety as well, right? I'd, I'd never been out there previously, um, although. Uh, uh, surprisingly and coincidentally, my late father was there for 20 years. He taught out there, but I'd never ventured um, because I'd, I'd probably never wanted to. I, you know, I was I'm very parochial when mm. it comes to the the northeast, and I, I'm happy to explore, but I like to explore in what I know. Um, but but honestly, if, if I um, you know can emphasize, and 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 I, and I certainly can't overstate the level of opportunity that exists between our northeast in particular and saudi and the expertise that we have here very briefly because statistics are really important there's currently a 65 percent demand defi supply deficit to demand in saudi for all of their services so 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 right here right now you know, there's 65% that they could actually, from a supply side, um, take on. That's going to grow a hundredfold or to, to satisfy their 2030 vision. So, so, you know, putting that into context, we've got some of the, the foremost, you know, we've got the Horizon Centre, we've got National Innovation Centres, we've got a whole range of professional services. We've got all of this expertise that exists and we've got those wonderful relationships that already, you know, I've mentioned Newcastle United, okay. Sabic, okay. Sabic and very long Visa, time. that's right. Yeah. Now yeah. this demand, yeah. and, and, so just, can I just ask you about this the vision? Because you've been there recently and you've, you've been a guest yeah. of, I think it was Saudi Business Links. 
Can I ask you yeah. about this 2030 vision? Because this is all about the government of Saudi Arabia freeing itself from being oil dependent and having a more pluralistic economy, isn't it? Very much so. Um, and, 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 and actually becoming a bit more liberal, a lot more modern. Um, you know, I, I, as I say, I was blown away by all of my experiences from you know, world-class tourism opportunities, the best French meal I've ever had, and we've been to France a number of times, was in Saudi, right? So, so, so being able to, to, to sort of say that, uh, you know, they, they've built airports in 37 days. These are fully functioning airports. They've built world-class hospitals in six months. Now, um, and, and what is the 2030 vision? It, it's very much, as you've rightly pointed out, Graham, around that you know, becoming a global um, beneficiary to Saudi, but also the rest of the world, you know, to, to prove, I, 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 if I can, um, you know, help illustrate or illuminate the point that when JFK said he wanted to go to the moon, he didn't have any idea how he was going to get there, right? It was an ambition, is what it was. And in doing so, he then went on to build it. And... Um, and, and, and there's several of these projects taking place in Saudi. Big, big infrastructure projects. So uh, just just before I go back to James, where would you say that people watching from the north of England business community, what sectors should they be considering exporting? Is it know-how? Is it physical production of um, uh, manufactured products? Is it engineering? What, what are the key sectors, would you say, would be opportunities for northeast and northern owned businesses. Um, uh, uh, arguably, every sector, Graham. Um, you know, all of our strengths: electrification, offshore, you know, hydrogen. All of these areas that we are equally looking to lead on nationally. These you know, are, are areas of interest. But even those, um, you know, manufacturing organisations and. Anybody similar, uh, you know, anybody anywhere, I would suggest they explore Saudi. All right. Um, whilst we were the guests of Saudi Business Links, you know, we did actually meet with all of the ministries, and they're all keen to support inward investment and uh, how, opportunities how would you go from through it? If you don't know how to get in there, how would you go through it? Could they contact you or other government agencies? Is the Department of International Trade facilitating links with Saudi? Please do. Please do. Yeah. Okay. Um, finally, and I have to ask this, you know, yes, the, the culture of Saudi is not the culture of a liberal Western society. Um, the, its treatment of uh, people of uh, uh, homosexuals, for instance, its, its attitude towards drink, its attitude towards uh, freedom of speech and so on. Is it right? Is there an ethical dimension? to supporting a regime which hasn't liberalised to that extent by helping it develop? This is a regime that hasn't, for instance, uh, uh, supported sanctions necessarily on Putin. It's allowed OPEC to admit uh, Russia. There are lots of negative reasons why people might want to, from an ethical dimension, put the pause button on. What, what's your answer there? Mm. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and, and I probably don't have a direct answer to that, Graham. Um, 
But what I can say from my own personal experience is that the, you need to go and experience it yourself first and foremost before you form any views. Um, I was blown away around the liberalization of it, the modern element of it. Yes, it's a it's a religious country. Yes, it um, you know it, it, it's very much steeped in that approach. I mean, alcohol. They don't want to serve, um, serve alcohol, and and yes, for a lot of us that might be surprising. But you know, recognizing that um, that the whole memories and experience, you know, from a tourism perspective, shouldn't exclusively be dependent upon alcohol. Okay. Religion plays a significant part. Um, they recognize that. Um, but I, I think rather than looking at the differences that exist, we all equally have a moral duty to look, explore other commonalities, right? Because that's what brings people together. So what are the positive aspects of us developing these relationships? What benefit can it bring to the, the prosperity of the Northeast? And how do we explore those type of things, I would suggest, you know, and, and equally, who knows where those boundaries and barriers might shift, but they can only come through dialogue and active engagement. Amar, I think that's asked and answered. Thank you very much. It was very, very good. It's been fascinating hearing you. I'm looking forward to when you can come Thank down you. to our studio because I know you told us before we came live that the reason you're in your office in Newcastle is because you're going to the football match tonight, uh, which the new Saudi-owned uh, uh, club, which I know has got you all... <laughs> fired up just as they are in the northwest of England uh, through those uh, Far East connections. So uh, I wish your team awesome. luck. Enjoy the team tonight and enjoy the match. James, I'm going to round Thank up you. with you. What did you think of what uh, Amar had to say about the reaction to some of this data that you have is to be positive and some of the data doesn't reflect the actions that the data itself will cause? Well, I just I'd agree with uh, Amar about, you know, needing to um, be positive. But at the same time, we have to, you know, understand the realities that we're facing. Mm. We've still got high inflation, which is going to pull down. Interest rates is the best mechanism at the, of, of doing that. Uh, and you just have to keep on track till it pulls down and then the confidence will eventually return. Well, great. But I think what business needs is the stability to sort of, you know, make things happen. Thank you, James. Uh, setting it all into context. And Amar, thank you for being your usual positive self. I wish you very, very good luck if you, if you are uh, helping forge connections between North of England and Saudi Arabia. It's called Asian Business Connections. Amar Mirza, please look at him on LinkedIn. He's very approachable. Now, over to my colleague, Jamie. He's speaking with Louisa Harrison-Walker, who's the chair of Sheffield Chamber of Commerce. Thanks, Graham. I'm really delighted to be joined by Louisa Harrison-Walker, who is the chief executive of the Sheffield Chamber of Commerce. So before we get into it, uh, Louisa, tell us a bit about the Chamber of Commerce and, and what it does for Sheffield. Oh, hi, nice to meet you. Thanks for having nice me. Nice to meet you too. Um, yeah, so Sheffield Chamber of Commerce, we're one of the oldest commerces in the uh, Chamber of Commerce in the UK. So we're one of 53 accredited chambers. Um, and effectively, we exist to try and help make the ecosystem the best it can be to help businesses, charities, social enterprises thrive and survive, really. So um, we've got about a thousand members and across public, private and third sector. So from micro SMEs right up to sort of huge anchor institutions. And we support them really by helping them grow their people uh, through training and workforce development, grow their networks and grow their markets through our international trade departments. OK, excellent. So we're coming to the end of 2023. And as usual with these sort of things, we look forward to next year. 
So what role will the Chamber play in improving that ecosystem for businesses in Sheffield in 2024? Okay. I'm really conscious that there's a sirens going past in the background, so I apologise no, that. No, no, that's fine, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> because we're near the head, the head office police station, it's not because there's lots of trouble happening in Sheffield. So, <laughs> um, Just as an aside, if I'm right, isn't the street that's outside the Sheffield police station called Letsby Avenue? It is. It actually oh, you've got to love it. It's you've got to love it. it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we do have a sense of humour here. Um, yeah, so I suppose in 2024, we're going to be building on the work we've been doing in 2023. So Chambers are quite unique organisations, really, in that they operate on a membership model, but we're a not-for-profit. So um, although we have to try and, you know, wash our face, a lot of the work we do is in the civic kind of public impact space. So we work a lot with the local authorities and the mayoral combined authorities and other stakeholders in the city. So we've been really involved in Sheffield with some of the Race Equality Commission. Um, outputs um, and helping the local authorities and the mayoral combined authority shape their provision um, to uh, better work with global majorities and harder to reach um, communities. Um, we're continuing our work in our social value space. We've got an amazing program called Sheffield Business Together, uh, which we run in partnership with business in the community. And it's something I'm really proud of. And we're the only chamber in the UK that does this. So we basically harness private sector resource and expertise and broker it into charities and voluntary sector organisations. So it's across all sorts of different projects, but it tends to fall in education, environment and social action. So we work across schools all across Sheffield to do employer engagement, CV advice, world of work visits. Um, we work um, building things like green fences around primary schools to reduce the pollution that the primary schools are being exposed to. Yeah, and then working with food banks and working with employers so they can make it easy for their employees to engage and donate things that can be you know, of use to the communities. So we'll be continuing to do that. That's more in the kind of public impact space. On the policy side, um, obviously, chambers are like the voice of business. So we get called upon to ask, you know, what, how businesses feel about certain subjects and what policy interventions would have the biggest impact. So we do a lot of work in the transport space. We have a South Yorkshire Transport Forum, um, which works with the other two chambers in our region as well. Um, and that is about trying to... <laughs> improve the conditions um, and improve the amount of investment that goes into our public transport infrastructure here because it's really poor and it's really holding us back and we do a lot of work in the skills space so working with our colleagues at Doncaster Chamber and Barnsley and Rotherham Chamber we've been involved in the local skills improvement plan which is working with colleges independent training providers and employers to try and make skills provision and training provision um, more in line with what businesses need for businesses to grow. So, um, yeah, lots of work across the piece there, really, but all about trying to improve sort of talent pipelines and um, infrastructure um, and helping, you know, the communities in the in the city that need it by uh, business as a force for good, really. So moving on then to something that uh, a lot of businesses turn their mind to, the what's it? could be seen as negatives but actually turn them into positives what are the challenges how are they prepare for them how are they going to overcome them what are the challenges do you see in the economy not just obviously in Sheffield but wider but obviously focused on the Sheffield business community yeah I mean it has been a really tough you know last sort of three four years really hasn't it it's just felt relentless you know people were just dealing with the impact of Brexit and how that was beginning to affect. And obviously, as I mentioned, we have an international trade department. So we have we have had to provide a lot of support to businesses, whether they're importing or exporting. And, you know, there's just there's been so many changes and so much red tape that people have had to navigate. So people were just getting through that. Then we had the pandemic and obviously the impact of all of that, which is still playing out for a lot of people in many ways. 
the significant changes in the way people work that's been an interesting one so you know the number of people now that working from home is normal and for some industries that works perfectly fine for some industries it's not possible and that's a challenge um what we're seeing and we do a quarterly economic survey the british chambers run uh, this survey every quarter across the whole chamber network and it's the biggest business survey of its kind and it tests sort of business sentiment and last year we were recording stats around recruitment where it was the highest number we'd ever seen of companies saying they were struggling to recruit part of that is because of what happened when so many people left mm. because of brexit part of that is because of you know the great resignation of people during the pandemic 20% of people that had COVID have got long COVID. So there's a significant amount of people who've not returned to the workforce because of ill health. Um, and people have just got more choice and more options about where they work. So I think like the war for talent is going to be a really interesting one in 2024. And I think employers are really switching on to that, that your competition for your staff previously would have been the employer down the road or perhaps in the next village or the next city. Now it can be from anywhere. And we're seeing that we're seeing people being headhunted and, um, you know, offered quite substantial sums of money to be able to work from home, but work for companies that headquarters, you know, outside of the UK and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. So that's an interesting challenge. Um, I think, um, really the, the businesses that we talk to, they just want some stability, mm. You know, we've had so much change and, you know, particularly with government, you know, just so much change, constant change. It's really difficult to make any traction, particularly on the policy side, when the minister is just constantly changing and the leadership is constantly changing. So I would really like to see some stability there and some long term plans, um, you know, that are really going to help businesses make themselves make long term plans, knowing that things will be set for a period of time. I think that would be really helpful for people. I think that's uh, a lot of business who let, will, would echo that that one and that thought. That's brilliant. Louisa, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for your insight into the chamber and what's going on in Sheffield. It's a very vibrant city, always has been, and it yeah. continues to be. So that's brilliant. So uh, I'll, I think I can get away with saying Merry Christmas. And uh, just about, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and have a very uh, prosperous new year. Thanks thank very you. much. You too. Take care. Thank you, Jamie, and uh, good to hear from Louisa as well. So the Northern Business Podcast today has been all around the north, Sheffield, Newcastle, Yorkshire, Leeds, and, uh, of course, we want to hear from you if you're in business anywhere in the north of England. Feel free to get in touch. We're planning our programmes for the new year. Uh, contact us through LinkedIn or at Recognition PR based in Darlington. Thanks to our podcast producer today, Harry Sinclair, and our technical operator, Robin Campbell. Join us next time for the Northern Business Podcast. You don't have to miss an episode. You can like, rate, or subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get a podcast.